Brennan here. Before we get started with this week's episode, I wanted to remind you all that we're looking for questions to answer in our follow-up episode. We're getting down to the wire, so if you've got a question on Water in the West, please send it along to ww101 at tu.org. Again, that's ww101 at tu.org. Hi there, welcome to Western Water 101, where we talk about the history, future, and issues of water in the Western US. I'm Sarah Porterfield, Water Policy Associate for Trout Unlimited. I've lived all over the West, from growing up in California to college in the Pacific Northwest, to working as a raft guide in Utah, and now living in Boulder, Colorado, where I work connecting federal policies and programs and on-the-ground projects with TU. And I'm Brennan Sang. I was uh, born and raised in Michigan with a significantly different outlook when it comes to water uh, than, than those folks that grew up in the West. But I, I did move out to the West and lived there for around a decade and was really struck by how just how different that outlook on water is. But without the sort of historical, political, or scientific background, I don't really, you know, I, I don't fully have an understanding of, of how all of it works and how all the kind of pieces come together. So I'm really excited to keep, keep talking about this stuff, Sarah, and talk about uh, the work we're doing at a legislative level. Or, well, yeah. sort of. Sort of a legislative level, yeah. So on the last uh, episode, we talked about how T works on on-the-ground projects, right? We talked to Paul mm-hmm. Burnett about his work in Utah. Uh, so that's the on-the-ground project level. TU um, does a ton of projects all over the country. You may have volunteered helping with one. And today we're going to look at how TU works with federal agencies and at the administrative level. Uh, yeah. And next time we'll look at the legislative side. So how TU works with passing legislation uh, and, and influencing that legislation. Um, Jump the gun a hair on that one, but uh, yeah. <laughs> we're getting there. And administrative uh, agency work and, and legislative work are really intertwined, as you'll see mm-hmm. in this episode. They are distinct things, but you can't have one without the other. Okay. I get that, that, uh, does a good job illustrating my uh, my lack of understanding in these, in these areas. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, so today we're going to look at the Bureau of Reclamation and the WaterSmart program in particular. Um, mm-hmm. And these are federal agencies and federal programs that are run under the Department of the Interior. Um, so it's kind of a Russian dolls of, uh, you know, programs and, right. and agencies that we have here. So... WaterSmart is inside Reclamation is inside Interior? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And WaterSmart is just one of the things that Reclamation does, as we've talked about, right, with the yeah. Reclamation Act and Reclamation Reclamation Service first and then the Bureau of Reclamation, right? Reclamation has been responsible for building dams across the Western U.S. They're also responsible for dam safety operations, right, um, up, uh, uh, maintenance and repair of these big infrastructure projects, you know, delivering water to irrigation districts, right? right. So um, this WaterSmart program is just a small piece of what Reclamation does, but that's what we're going to be focused on today. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear about it. And WaterSmart, WaterSmart's a, a grant program. Um, so this is a, a federal program that provides grant money to entities to undertake a range of different projects. It could be, we're going to get more into this, but it could be drought resiliency projects. It could be drought contingency planning. It could be um, increased water conservation and water efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole host of projects that fall under this WaterSmart umbrella uh, okay. that Reclamation runs. Yeah, so what sort of projects do they take care of? 
Yeah, there's a whole range of different um, purposes for which WaterSmart can be used. WaterSmart was set up under, came out of the Secure Water Act, which was passed in 2009. Um, And there's, I should have this statute memorized by now, but I don't. Um, But there's a whole range of purposes uh, to, for, for, these water smart grants to address um it's everything from uh conserving water increasing water use efficiency facilitating water markets um, enhancing water management which includes uh renewable energy and using renewable energy to manage and deliver water um water treatment technologies, uh, endangered species or preventing species from becoming listed as threatened or endangered, um, climate change, preventing water-related crisis or conflict, uh, and addressing drought. So there's this whole range of purposes to which these grants can go. That's a that's a lot of different ways to address (laughs) to address dealing with water, right? Or or to yeah, to to apply for these grants, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. And they're split into different grants. You know, there's the um, Title 16 water recycling projects, which are for water reuse and recycling, mostly used by municipalities uh, for those grants. There's um, drought resiliency grants that both fund projects as well as planning. Um, And then there's the water and energy efficiency grants, which we're going to focus on today. Um, mm-hmm. and we call these the WEEG grants, water and energy efficiency, right? There's lots oh, nice. of acronyms in this world. <laughs> I, I love me a good acronym. WEEG. That's a, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that qualifies. Weeg. Yeah. W-E-E-G. Or as some people pronounce it, WEEG. Yep. WEEG or WEEG. <laughs> WEEG sort of sounds like a, like a, uh, a Harry Potter, uh, animal or, or something, you know, something in That's a house elf. That's one of Dobby's friends. Right. Yeah. Weege the house elf. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and Weege or Weege or however you want to pronounce it, these water and energy uh, efficiency grants are designed to help recipients um, increase water conservation as well as do a whole range of other things, right? There could be ecological benefits that come out of that. Uh, there could be increased water security for an entire watershed when we're talking about drought in the West, that's a really important mm-hmm. outcome. So these WEEG grants are set up to do a range of things under reclamation. I'm just going to read reclamation's um, uh, description of what these grants can be used for. Mm-hmm. Uh, the projects funded by these conserve and use water more efficiently, increase the production of hydropower, mitigate conflict risk in areas at a high risk of future water conflict, and accomplish other benefits that contribute to water supply reliability in the Western U.S. So you can see right. how that description right, kind of lines up with that list of um, purposes for water smart grants that I right. read earlier, right? Right. Yeah. You can do this whole range of things. And we're focused on week today because TU, myself, has, along with an intern with the um, uh, another conservation organization, did a really deep dive into looking at the kinds of projects that were funded under the WEEG program oh, okay. to see what exactly was getting funded uh, mm-hmm. under this grant program. And what we found is that there's that whole range of purposes under statute that the WEEG grants can fulfill or WaterSmart grants in general. And we found that wheat grants were really focused just on water conservation and weren't focused on this whole other range of projects, project types that could be funded um, under WEEG. And while water conservation is important, I think we'd we'd probably advocate for more than just the conservation of the use of water, right? 
Yeah. So we wanted to see like, okay, are these projects under the week program funding things like, you know, habitat improvement that in a way that could help, you know, cold water uh, resources, you know, improve trout habitat or salmon habitat, right? So we wanted to see what was going on in there. Um, and this kind of curiosity or concern was shared by um, both houses of Congress. Um, in fiscal year 2019, in the um, Senate Committee on Appropriations expressed the same concern that we had. Uh, they wrote in their annual report on the Senate Energy and Water Appropriations Bill uh, that they were worried that agricultural irrigation projects, quote, may increase water scarcity at the basin scale by allowing conservation grant recipients to use conserved water water for consumptive use, right? So oh, to explain mm -hmm. that, do you think you could explain that quote back to me? I think so. So what, what, how I hear that is that, is that they are afraid that the water that we're conserving is going to be kind of turned around and used again to expand, uh, expand the use so that if I, if I tend to use 10 gallons a day, uh, watering my lawn, uh, and I manage to save two gallons a day, that then I'm going to make my lawn 20% larger so that I can then water a bigger lawn with the same amount of water. Exactly. Yeah, that's precisely it. And there's actually for agricultural projects um, funded by these, there's a statutory legal prohibition okay. against using conserved water for increased consumptive use. So you can't, you know, put more water on your crops with that conserved water, or you can't um, increase your irrigated acreage uh, with that water. Okay. Um, so that's what, you know, the Senate and then in 2020, the House expressed um, a similar kind of concern that conserved water was going to this increased consumptive use potentially by, say, you know, for example, increasing irrigated acreage, right? Um, right. So and we that's one this. of those where it's, oh, yeah, it's go good, you know, conserving the water is great, but we want to also make sure that we're conserving it and not then just turning around and using it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because we want to be able to fulfill or we want these projects, you know, not to you, it's ourselves, but we want these projects funded under WEEG to also hit that, um, you know, contributing to basin-wide water security, right? Mm -hmm. um, so if, if we take your lawn as an example, right, rather than putting that two gallons to making your lawn 20% bigger, that two gallons could go back into the system, go back into, you know, where it came from, whether that's a creek or a lake or whatever it may mm -hmm. be. Um, and that increased water in that source of supply could help, you know, increase, you um, or improve fish habitat because there's more water in the stream. Maybe that cools the stream down a little bit. Right. And it also means that there's more water in the system so that other water users aren't going to be water stressed, right? So what we did in order to myself and, and um, this uh, intern that I worked with, we took a really deep dive into all of the projects funded over the life of the WEEG program from 2010 to 2020. Okay. Um, we didn't include 2021 in this because the, the those projects hadn't been awarded at the time. Uh, so 11 years of the program. And the way that we did that, um, Reclamation releases a every year when they uh, award the, um, the WEEG grants or any of their grant programs, they release a list of the, the projects that were funded with a short mm -hmm. little paragraph description. So I'm just gonna read you an example of one. Um, this was for the Sutter Mutual Water Company. Uh, and they, the 
project received $806,000 uh, from reclamation. Mm -hmm. The total project cost was $1.6 million. There has to be a, a, at least a 50-50 federal cost share. So the project has to contribute at yeah. least 50%, could be more. Um, right. And the federal government will contribute up to 50% of the project cost under this grant program. Okay. Here's the project description. Uh, the Sutter Mutual Water Company, located near Sacramento, California, will install super, supervisory control and data acquisition, or SCADA, components that allow for remote monitor, monitoring of irrigation delivery system conditions and for remote operation of delivery system control gates at Bonham and Dam Weir. The project includes six Rubicon slip gates with SCADA capability using software that allows real-time monitoring and remote access to the site. The project is expected to result in annual water savings of 20,000 acre feet currently lost to operational spills. The water conserved as a result of the project will allow the company to reduce diversions from the Sacramento River, eliminate surplus deliveries, and to store more water in Bohannon Dam. So that probably sounded a little bit like gibberish. <laughs> there, I'm not going to lie. There were there were a few points where I was holding on by my fingertips, but I, yeah. I, think, I, I, think, I think I stuck with you. Yeah. Fortunately, these you know they're they're a paragraph long, right? They're written to give these kind of short descriptions. Um, so we looked at a couple of different components. So I'll break that description down and tell you how we looked at all of these projects. Yeah. Um, so first is the size of the WaterSmart grant. How much money did they get for their grant? There's a mm -hmm. couple different levels. You know, it could be anywhere from I can't remember what the lowest I've seen tens of thousands of dollars, low hundreds, low six figures, um, up to kind of high six figures. Last year, I think maybe the federal contribution could be up to one and a half million. I'd have to check that. Um, so the size, how much money did they get via this grant, the project get? Um, what's the project description? What is the grant being used for? Uh, and in this case, it's install SCADA components, which is a remote monitoring and control system, right? So you yeah. don't have to go out and go to every, if you're a farmer getting this grant or the, irrig the irrigation district, not a farmer getting this grant, but the irrigation district getting this grant, they don't have to go out to every head gate and manually turn it on and off. Um, right. They can do that automatically, right? Okay. So it saves time and money and labor. Right. So that's what it's being used for. Then we looked at the amount of water conserved. So this one, um, it says in here, an annual water savings of 20,000 acre feet and every right. grant description, you know, unless it's a hydropower one, but every description has how much water will be conserved for this week program. And then the use of that conserved water, right? And this one, it says, uh, it will allow the company to reduce diversions from the Sacramento River, eliminate surplus deliveries and to store more water. So that's how that described it. Then mm -hmm. we took that use of conserved water and generalized it. And we were able to take, I wanna say it was probably six or seven kind of general buckets that these right. projects would fall into. So for this one, the generalized use of conserved water was one, to reduce diversions from the river, mm -hmm. Sacramento River, reduce diversions, and two, to increase storage. So you categorized all of these into how many categories did you say? We had three categories. Yeah. So we okay. took, we used mostly that generalized um, use of conserved water to be able to sort all of these projects. Okay. And we sorted them into three different categories. Um, category one, this is the top ranking. These are the ones that, that we're super supportive of. Uh, mm -hmm. These are multi-benefit projects. So they benefit the environment, water users. It's a, there's win-win-win situations. Um, right. Multi-benefit projects that decrease water scarcity at the basin scale by contributing conserved water to habitat restoration, increasing in-stream flows and or decreasing diversions, right? So this, these are very much based on, okay, where is that conserved water going at the end right. of the project? 
And this is in this first category that conserved water is either staying in the stream or going back into a stream to to help with habitat and decrease and again like like you said decrease the scarcity of water in that basin yeah exactly so there's a ecological component to it right it's helping decrease water scarcity at the basin scale because from your lawn example right if that two gallons goes back into the creek that's more water in the whole system right so that right. could help um the entire system in the in you know, potentially if there's a drought. Yeah. So that's category one, those those multi benefit projects, it's going to benefit the system, it's going to benefit habitat, it's going to benefit water users. Mm -hmm. And then category two is our, our middle ranking. Uh, and these were projects that reduce water imports and or reliance on water storage, right, they might have some good benefits that they're not importing as much water from outside their basin. Um, for example, you know, there's a lot of these projects that were in this ranking where uh, municipalities in Southern California that could reduce potentially their imports from the Colorado River or from the Bay Delta, um, okay. but they're still using water, right? They're they're good, um, but they're mm -hmm. not. Uh, they didn't make it into our category one ranking. Right, so they're kind of um, not necessarily taking less water or leaving less leaving more water in the system. They're finding ways to be more efficient with the water that they are already taking. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's precisely, that's a good way to describe it of that, that conserved water is still being used, but it's going further. Right. Yeah. And again, for most of these for category two, they're mostly municipalities mm -hmm. um, because those aren't subject, right. The statute that we talked about earlier that prohibits um, agricultural projects from increasing consumptive use or increasing acreage. Right. Um, mm -hmm. That's for agricultural projects. Mm -hmm. So a lot of municipalities are in this category two um, uh, ranking. Right. And then the third category is the lowest ranking, pretty simple description projects that make conserved water available to users, right? Often it'll say in those project descriptions, um, conserved water will be made available to water users. And these are the ones that we're, we're worried about, right? That they're increasing the basin wide water scarcity rather than water security, because those two gallons from your lawn is just going more to make your lawn bigger, right? Not to right. go back into the source of supply. No, that, that makes sense. Yeah. So the first category, they're using less, keeping more in the system. In, in the second category, they're using the same amount, but kind of making it go a little bit further. And then in the third amount, they're similarly growing the use, uh, you know, still continuing to use that water in an expanded manner. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So once we broke all of these, you know, looked at every every single paragraph written um, over the course of 11 years, um, this project took a little while. Yeah. Uh, we found out that over the first 11 years of the program, right, that 2010 to 2020, 51% um, of the total conserved water went to increase consumptive use. Oh. So that's those category three projects, right? That's not 51% of the projects awarded, but we took the total amount of conserved water and 51% of that conserved water, actually I have the number 501,988,000 acre feet, okay. uh, went to um, increase consumptive use, right? So that would fall into that third category made available to, to users. So that's over half of all conserved water being made available potentially for increased consumptive use. In comparison, uh, category two projects accounted for 19% of conserved water, so 100, okay. almost 192,000 acre feet. 
Um, and then category one projects conserved uh, almost 300,000 acre feet. They were at 294, 807 acre feet, which okay. is 30% of the total conserved water. Okay. So almost a third of that total conserved water was going to those really great category one multi-benefit, good for fish, good for people, good for everyone projects. Right. And so it seems like we'd prefer, and I'm, I'm talking as, as TU and as, as, as a conservationist, I guess, uh, it seems like that first category really seems like where we would want to see more projects. Yeah, so this is how TU works with this this administrative level, right? I've presented on these findings to the Bureau of Reclamation, right? Been able mm -hmm. to talk to the folks who are in charge of this Water Smart program and the WEEK program and say like, hey, this is this research that we've done. This is what we found. Like, did you know this about your your projects, you know? And if, you know, how can we increase the number of category one projects and the amount of conserved water going to those good multi-benefit projects? How can how can we make that happen? How, how can we help reclamation increase the, right. the amount of category one projects? Nice, and, and uh, it, it sounds like, I mean, they they opened the doors to let you come in and, and, and present that. So they, they must've appreciated it, at least on some level, the work done to, to go through and, and categorize and look at all of that. Yeah, yeah, and my um, Excel skills are not the best, but uh, they pass muster enough to... <laughs> nice. <laughs> my graphs weren't very pretty, I'll put it that way, but um, but we've had really great conversations with Reclamation about how, how can we make this program fund even better category one kind of projects. So again, this is this is part of the, the WE grants, which is part of WaterSmart, right? Mm -hmm. And WaterSmart falls under the interior. Yeah, WaterSmart falls under reclamation. Yes. Yep, which is under the interior. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. I'm I'm skipping dolls here. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So these category one projects, these multi-benefit projects that help conserve water at the ba at the basin scale, um, the ones we prefer. What do those look like? Do you have any examples of what kind of projects those might involve? Yeah, so if you remember a couple episodes ago when we were talking about moving from conflict to collaboration, uh, one of the examples that we talked about as a collaborative process on water in the West was the Yakima River Basin. Yeah. Um, and actually one of the projects that one of the category one projects, or I think there's been a series of them, I'd have to go back and look, but there's, there is certainly one example um, that was of these week projects that was awarded to the Kittitas Reclamation District, uh, an mm -hmm. irrigation district that's within the Yakima River Basin. Because of that portfolio approach that the Yakima River Basin has taken, uh, they were able to you know design and get funded this multi-benefit category one project. Um, and what they did with that, uh, this funding, they received it in 2018, and it was to line 1,600 feet of um, their South Branch Canal in the Kittitas Reclamation District, uh, uh -huh. and that will conserve 183 acre feet of water a year. So, right, a canal, you know, traditionally starting in the late 19th century, you're, you're digging a ditch, right? Uh -huh. um, and what does water do when it's put on soil? It seeps in. Seeps in. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, there are some some uh, benefits and some effects and consequences of having water run through earthen canals, right? You could help replenish groundwater, you know, mm -hmm. through doing that. You could help create some habitats. Um, but generally, to make uh, water use more efficient, what's going to happen is either piping or lining those canals and ditches, right? So um, I think that the Kittitas Reclamation District 
um, lined their canal with concrete, probably. I don't know if I have the specific material that they use, but they lined it with something that's impermeable or, or far less permeable, right? So then you're not losing, quote unquote, that water to seepage into the oh, okay. soil. Mm -hmm. um, so as I said, right, that's going to conserve 183 acre feet of water per year. That's not getting lost to seepage or, you know, to over whatever the, yeah. the loss might be. And so what they decided to do with that 183 acre feet of water based on, um, I, I think it's based on this kind of whole framework that they have in the Yakima River Basin of this portfolio approach, right, that's taking into account the needs um, and the goals of the tribes, of irrigators, of fish and wildlife. Um, that 183 acre feet of water that's going to be conserved through this project every year uh, is dedicated to in-stream flows in the upper Yakima River Basin to improve habitat for at-risk populations of salmon and steelhead, right? So you can see how yeah. they get a more efficient system than that conserved water is left in the source of supply and able to help bolster uh, habitat for these fish populations. Well, that 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 sounds perfect. That's 183 acre feet that was not doing anyone much good. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and some other benefits. So, so we have the habitat benefit, right? Um, we have the increased efficiency for these irrigation systems. That's another benefit. Um, and one of the other benefits that comes with this project and with you know a lot of other projects like this uh, is that it creates jobs, right? It mm -hmm. is an economic um, stimulus. You know, there's this great picture that one of the folks who works in the Kittitas has of just these you know cement trucks like lined up, uh, waiting to line the canal. Um, and and you can just see how these uh, kinds of projects um, really, really fuel the local economy, right? And a little bit different project in the same area, this is on the North Branch Canal, right? The, the original one we talked about with WaterSmart funding was the South right. Branch, the North Branch Canal under the Kittitas Reclamation District, um, put 70 cement truck loads of concrete to line that canal, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so that's a lot of concrete. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of concrete. And it's also a lot of folks driving those cement trucks, right? Um, right. Employing a lot of local labor to create these jobs. And we can see this with, you know, the restoration, restoration projects. Um, there is a track record of, of creating local well-paying jobs to get these projects done. So these really are multi-benefit, win-win-win kinds of projects. Right. Helping across, you know, helping fish helping helping jobs you know helping mm -hmm. with the efficiency across the board yeah i can really see that and on a larger level yeah exactly yeah this watershed scale that's what the yakima basin um implementation plan that we talked about a couple episodes ago has allowed the you know kittitas reclamation district the tribes the conservation groups the whole all the players that are involved in there it's allowed them to look at the watershed level issues and take you know this high um higher scale look at the problem and then figure out how do we complete projects that fulfill all of our goals across this watershed to me that seems like exactly the sort of projects that we'd want these dollars to go towards and we have um recently had some uh this is as we were talking about earlier with this kind of the intertwined nature of administrative and legislative work. Um, we've had some recent success legislatively that um, we're hoping will help make uh, it easier to fund even more of these category one multi-benefit projects. So in December of 2020, you might remember there was a big omnibus bill passed to fund yeah. the government. Yeah, right at the end of the year, we avoided a government shutdown, I think, with this yeah. probably. But and an omnibus bill, right, by definition of omnibus, it includes a whole lot of different 
pieces to it. It funded the government through the end of fiscal year 2021. It provided pandemic relief for Americans. And it also uh, included several Western water bills that were really important for TU's work in the West and in particular for Water Smart. I remember reading when this bill passed about these new provisions for the Water Smart grants, but I, or the Water Smart program, but I wasn't that familiar with it. I, I could tell, I knew it was a good thing, but I wasn't sure exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll go through, there's um, six of these, or sorry, five of these new provisions that I think are really relevant to what we've been talking about today and are, are also uh, specifically, uh, well, four of them are specifically tied to WaterSmart grant programs. Okay. Um, so the first, uh, these provisions expanded what WaterSmart uh, could do. Remember that list of um, purposes that I read yeah. at the beginning, right? That yep. statutorily WaterSmart could do. Um, this expanded those purposes um, and it also uh, changed um, some of the eligibility requirements, et cetera. So these five provisions are um, first, it made natural water storage or nature-based infrastructure, um, mm -hmm. such as the construction of beaver dam analogs, like we talked about with Paul on our last episode. Uh, right. These are an eligible project purpose, right? So we okay. can now use WaterSmart funds, um, or, or rather WaterSmart as a whole program is authorized to grant funds to create things like artificial beaver dams, do floodplain reconnection projects and process-based restoration projects. So the kind of work that Paul's been working on. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, pretty great. The second is that nonprofit organizations are now eligible entities to receive funding. It okay. used to be that WaterSmart uh, grants could only go to um, states, tribes, uh, irrigation districts, or other entity with water and power delivery authority. So now this eligibility has been expanded to include NGOs like TU. Um, we do have to be, if an NGO, they're called Category B applicants. Um, category A is kind of traditional eligible entities. Right. Uh, category B applicants have to be in partnership with a Category A applicant. So for example, you know, if TU wanted to apply for for a project in Utah, we could have as our partner, um, you know, somebody from Utah's DNR state committee, right? So okay. we could use a, a partner with a state entity or partner with an irrigation district, which is great because, you know, we want to know what the concerns and the goals are of irrigation districts, of states, of tribes, etc. So building that partnership into these grants, I think, is a really good way for NGOs to be eligible. Yeah, that's great. One, I mean, speaking as a, someone who works at an NGO, I can see that being really great. But also, I think that goes to what we've we've talked about previously about bringing more voices to the table and bringing more more interest to the table when we're talking about what we're doing with this water. Yeah, and we're much more likely to you know come up with a multi-benefit project because we're going to have, as you said, more of these voices at the table and figuring out, okay, can this project benefit irrigators as well as you know watershed wide water security as well as fish. Yeah. Right. And then the third provision is tied to that, right? It's it's um, tied to the idea of multi-benefit projects. Um, remember, we talked about the, for, for WEED grants, the federal cost share, or really it's all water smart grants is um, 50%, right? Mm -hmm. The federal government will kick in up to 50% of the project cost. Uh, but for under these new provisions for multi-benefit projects, those win-win-win category yeah. one projects, uh, that federal cost share can go up to 75%. So there's an even greater incentive to incorporate multiple benefits into these projects. 
Oh, nice. And that seems like a great way to kind of boost those numbers, right? Hopefully start to see that that 30% figure rise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the last one for a water smart is that there's um, increased accountability for the benefits that are associated with irrigation with agricultural efficiency projects. Um, and this is things like uh, monitoring for higher stream flows, monitoring mm. for improved aquatic habitat so that we have the data, the science to back up what we're doing in these projects, right? If we say that we're going to increase in-stream flows, we're going to have to back that up with monitoring and data. Well, that's good. Yeah, it seems like the monitoring capabilities that we have are just growing all the time. And so it, it makes sense to add that on there. Yeah, you're, you can measure the goals that you set out. Yeah, yeah, you can, you know, show that you've done the what you set out to do, or, you know, you can figure out if it's not working, and then figure out what to do about it, right, and improve that project. Um, and then the last provision, uh, we don't know exactly how this is going to play out, if it's going to be underwater smarter or, or where it might live. Yeah, it might, um, is that there, these new provisions created a new reclamation program to help fund improvements to fish passage and aquatic oh. health. So that it's an aquatic ecosystem restoration provision, and it can be used to, you know, study reservoir operations to, you know, with an eye towards aquatic health. So can we um, operate reservoirs in a way that's more beneficial for aquatic health? Um, it can stun fund the study and construction of fish passage. So it could be constructing right. fish passage around a dam or other barrier. It could be used for dam removal, etc. So that's a new program. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet, but it's a really exciting one for TU's work. Yeah, that is really exciting. That, that reconnection part, that fish passage is such a key way to Im improve our fisheries and, and one that is becoming more and more important, you know, with climate change as well. Yeah, exactly. So we've got a lot, you know, these these new provisions are really exciting. Um, and and I think that they really get some more additional momentum behind these funding these multi benefit category one projects. So hopefully they'll, right. you know, we'll see uh, increased multi benefit projects coming up over the years with WEEG and with other water smart programs as well. Yeah, that's exciting. I saw that we had new water smart provisions in that in that big bill. Uh, but I, I didn't fully get what what we were talking about. But now I now I think I've I'm guessing I don't fully get it, but at least I've got a, a baseline understanding. I've been working on this for more than a year and I don't know if I fully understand it. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a it's a big, complicated, um, you know, uh, agency, but it's doing a lot of really cool stuff. Um, and, you know, we're we're doing what we can to help, you know, increase these number of good multi benefit projects. That's great. And so when when we do work with these agencies and we, we reach out to them, you know, you talked about going to talk to Reclamation and presenting the, the research you did on these various categories. Does that sort of relationship then help drive these kinds of changes that we saw in the in the omnibus bill? Yeah, you know, I think all you could say this about all three levels of the way that TU works that we're talking about here, you know, the on the ground projects, the administrative agency and the legislative, right? Mm -hmm. um, all of this is built based on building relationships, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's all about creating that human connection and building these relationships so that we can have, you know, these kinds of conversations, we can, um, you know, work as you know, Paul described last uh, episode, work with ranchers on the ground to improve projects on their land to, as we'll talk about next episode, right, building relationships with um, congressional members and congressional staff. So as you can see through this episode, and as we've talked about, you know, for 
at various points in this episode, these administrative agency level work and, and legislative work is, is really intertwined, right? Um, they, right. they are, they affect each other. Um, but in the next episode, we're going to be focusing specifically on the legislative side and we'll do kind of a deep dive into the farm bill, which is, um, uh, a diff under a different agency, right? The farm bill conservation title programs are largely mm -hmm. underneath the, or they are under the uh, U S department of agriculture. So we're going to switch kind of scale or, or area of work as well as the agency under which we work in the next episode. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you. Hi everyone. Brennan here. Thanks for listening to the fourth episode of Western water. One Oh one. We really hope you enjoyed it. We've got more episodes on their way. I also wanted to mention that Sarah wrote some great companion pieces to these episodes, which you can find at www.tu.org slash WW101. Next week, we'll be taking a deep dive into the Farm Bill, and specifically the conservation title portions of the Farm Bill. Our guest, TU's own Laura Zemer, will be here to answer questions, and I can't wait to share it with you all. Speaking of questions, we'd love to hear from you with any questions you may have before we record our follow-up episode. So if you've got one, please hit us up via email at ww101 Again, that's ww101 at tu.org. 